Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Springfield, the Church of the Brethren. It is Sunday, March the 21st. It is the, well, it's still technically Lent until Easter, but it's the, uh, we're coming up on the end. Next week is Palm Sunday. Can't believe that. A couple of announcements that are in the book, they're in the bulletin um, and elsewhere. Bible study on Tuesday night on Zoom at 7 o'clock. We'll be beginning a new series on Ruth, which marks about one year since we've been doing Bible studies online because I did one session of Ruth and then we went online and I've been holding back on it since. Uh, Monday, Thursday, Love Feast. We'll be having a celebration online also there, uh, also on Zoom. Uh, those details will be coming out this week with login information and whatnot. Uh, if you have any questions, need any help, feel free to give me a call. I am happy to help you uh, log on. And you can join through your phone as well. Just open up, dial in, and you can put your phone on speaker and, and join us that way. If you've been uh, seeing what's going on with annual conference, it has moved over to an all online uh, this year. Uh, the services are free to join uh, from your home at any time, but there is for the insight sessions and other such things, there is a charge. While we're not paying for the location, or hotels or things like that, there's still an expense behind the actual putting together of annual conference, all the technology, all the people. So there is a charge in order to join some of those things. Uh, and we may be able to do some of that here in the church building, but that's still being discussed on the, on the uh, national level how that is all to work. Today is the last Sunday to, uh, to order Easter tulips. Just drop your thing in the back today, um, and you'll be able to have your tulips following worship on Easter morning. Let's see if there's anything I am missing in here. Are there any other announcements you have today? So Renee, along with Clara Jean and Pat, and I think they've roped Dale in a few times and some others, that have been working very hard downstairs, going through those giant wood cabinets, going through, well, over a hundred years worth of material in there at times. They, they found a couple hidden gems as well. Uh, if you at home have any historical documents, paper products, um, feel free to bring them in so that we can sort them into the, hist the historical record we have downstairs. Uh, but we're not looking for any other kinds of artifacts at this time. So please hold on to those uh, for now. As we move over into our time to share joys and concerns, I do have an update about our sister Dee. She's still in the Akron City Hospital uh, and may come home today, but at this time they no longer they don't know exactly why she, she experienced the episode that she did, but Rollin is with her and we're hoping she'll come home and they will be able to find those answers soon. So continued prayers for Bernita's brother, Brian, 
Apparently, I can never get that right with him. I don't know why. <laughs> Twice in the pulpit. I know. He is continuing to heal. Uh, he's speaking, but hasn't gotten to some of the process as they're continuing to build up his strength and ready him for the next stages of the process. But I'm glad to hear he's doing well and, and working hard. And yes, patience is something that one is either really good at or something we all have to learn, I think. <laughs> Who did you say first? Yes, Karen and, and Donna. Yes, that's all I thought you said. Yes, to have Karen back and to have Donna back, it's just wonderful. It's where every spring is here and our, our uh, church is refilling with flowers. Prayers for our brother, Tony, who was in the hospital this last week with a mini stroke. Um, I'm glad he's home, and I can't wait to see him back in here. But we pray that his, his spirits go up this week. If you'll join as your hearts together as we enter into this time of worship.
you'll pray with me. Gracious Creator, as we gather in this space to listen to the Word, to pray, to learn, to grow, we ask for clear eyes. Clear eyes that can see this world for what it is to see for good, to see for evil. To see so we know who we are. To know who you are. To know what we are called to be. We pray for strong hands. We pray for strong hearts. As we gather, God, we remember our brothers and sisters who are not here. Those who are at home with healing bodies. Those who are at home who are struggling. We lift up Brian and Dee and Tony. We lift them up and ask for your strong hands to hold them up. Gracious one, we thank you for your presence and your love. Amen. Good morning. I'm going to thank Pastor Andrew for letting me borrow his drum. You can either thank him later or... Uh, not thank him later. All complaints can go into Mike's mailbox. <laughs> Alarm clock screaming, bare feet at the floor. It's off to the races, everybody out the door. I'm feeling like I'm falling behind. It's a crazy life. 90 miles an hour going fast as I can Trying to push a little harder, trying to get the upper hand So much to do in so little time, it's a crazy life It's ready, set, go, it's another wild day When the stress is on the rise in my heart I feel you say just breathe Just breathe Come and rest at my feet and be just be chaos calls but all you really need is to just bring cup of joe just to get me through the day want to make the most of time but i feel it slip away i wonder if there's something more to this crazy life i'm busy 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 and it's no surprise to see that i only have time for me 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 there's gotta be something more to this crazy life I'm hanging on tight to another wild day When it starts to fall apart in my heart I hear you say just breathe Just breathe Come and rest at my feet 
and be, just be, chaos calls, but all you really need is to take it in, fill your lungs, the peace of God that overcomes, just breathe, just breathe. Let your weary spirit rest. Lay down what's good and find what's best. Just breathe, just breathe, just breathe, just breathe. Come and rest at my feet and be. Just be chaos calls, but all you really need is to just breathe. Just breathe. Thank you, Mike. I'm sure the drum is excited. I haven't been playing it enough. So actually going to be jumping back in time just a little bit from where we have been in the readings. Back to Mark 11, 15 through 19. Then they came to Jerusalem. And, they, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, is, not, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And when the chief priest and the scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And then evening came, and Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. So as the pastor was finishing the service, he went up into the pulpit to deliver the benediction, the blessing. And he said, before I release you all to the week, I would like to ask you to be prepared for next Sunday. I'm going to be starting a new series on sins and following the law. And in order to do so, I need you to be prepared. Can you please read Mark 17 this week? He then blessed them and they left. The next Sunday he came in and he asked them, before I begin this, the reading today, can you show me by hands how many of you read Mark 17 like I asked? Nearly every hand went up. And he said, this is wonderful. Thank you. Because there's only 16 chapters in Mark. And I am now going to preach my sermon, which I have titled, 
the sin of lying. Sin is one of those weird things. I mean, we do it all the time. And we strive to define it. So if you, if you wanted to define sin, and you opened up like Merriam-Webster or something, it would say along the lines of, sin is the breaking of the laws of God or moral laws or religious laws. So we, we tend to kind of use sin more broadly. But, I mean, how broad is really sin? Right? So, so there's those normal little sins that we do every day. You know, those little white lies we tell our, our loved ones or our friends or even God because it's better than dealing with the truth. Or those little sins like that unkind thought that comes unbidden to our minds, or even worse, to our lips. Or perhaps that unintentional or even intentional cutting off of somebody in traffic. We don't mean it, it just happens sometimes. Sometimes we mean it, but in a moment of rage. They just happen. You know, I've practiced this like four times this morning, and I'm now getting off my thoughts now. <laughs> so, I'm going to just open you up. So, I actually don't like to think about sin very much. <laughs> it's a personal preference of mine, mainly being is I find that when I focus, or when most people focus on something that's negative, guess what? We see everything is negative. So I prefer to focus on the positive because I like to see the world generally as a positive thing, and I like to focus on those things. But when dealing with sin, I found some, some help going to a, a gentleman whose name is uh, W. Paul Jones. He was a Methodist pastor for 40 years, and then he actually became a Catholic priest and a Trappist monk. But beyond that, he was also a theology pastoral care professor and, and someone who was a, they call it a spiritual director, which is kind of like a therapist, but only deals with spiritual matters as opposed to emotional matters. They're closely connected, but different. Now, as he sat and talked to people, he, which he did a lot with his work, he found that most Christians kind of fall into these five broad categories, or some combination of these five, and how they relate with God and the world, with Jesus, with sin. And so he kind of worked it out, and he defined it, and he even developed a test which I've taken, and it did help, kind of understanding where I was and how I viewed the world, but even better, understanding how other people see it differently. So when I encountered his test, my professor who had given it to us had actually whittled it down to just four worlds. 
the fifth one being something that just doesn't exist very often in the US anymore. And they each see the world a little differently. And none of us are cleanly in one or the other. We're always a combination in different levels. So the first one was something called the world of the forgiven sinner. Now, the forgiven sinner says something along like this. There was Adam and Eve, and they bit from the apple. And at that moment, their pureness was forever tainted, and they became broken. Not only that, everything became broken. We all became awful. I'm taking this to the extremes, by the way. There's different levels within this. This is the extreme. The whole world became awful, broken, full of awful, broken sinner people like us. Because we're all awful, broken people. And my purpose is to work as hard as I can to get back to being just good. And I can only do that through prayer and repentance in my relationship with God. And all things are broken, so I can only concentrate on the sins that I can control. And that all comes from being broken. The second one, and that first one, this forgiven sinner, and this one are the most popular in the U.S. Almost all Christians in the U.S. are one or the other. It's the world of the adventurer. Now, while the sinner says, everything in this world is awful, the adventurer says, everything's basically good. The problem is that when Adam and Eve were, ate the apple and were kicked out of the garden, that they were separated from God and from having that wonderful relationship with God. And since everything is God's creation, by me growing and exploring and working to be a better person, I can grow and work myself back into that better relationship with God. And so by the time I reach the end and I arrive at the pearly gates, I'll meet God and I'll be able to have a conversation and God will look on me as a parent looks on a child and says, look how well you've grown, I'm so proud of you. The problem for the, the adventurer is that humans can be lazy and not grow that we can become obsessed with other things and become stagnated. Those are the two most common and taken to the extreme levels. Then there is the world of the crusader or the warrior, which honestly, as an Anabaptist, I'm not crazy about either of those words. Uh, but they're what they are. So the crusader says, when Adam and Eve were kicked out of heaven, they had to form their own society. And humans, they're basically good, but they're all flawed. And what happens when you take a society is that those who are running it, all those flawed humans, all those flaws start to compound upon each other. So systems become bad. Flawed humans create even more flawed systems. And the problem is, is those systems are raised up to be more powerful than God is in our hearts. And so therefore, our job as Christians is to fight those systems and to make them more just. Because Jesus always walks 
with those who are oppressed. And therefore, it's our duty to walk as Christ did because Christ called us in in Matthew 25 to be workers, to be warriors in this world for God's kingdom. So there, the problem of sin is a systemic problem. Last but not least is the world of the orphan. In the world of the orphan says, back with Adam and Eve, the problem is, is they were separated from God. That's the whole problem. When they left the garden, they were no longer in perfect relationship with God. Our hearts, our souls yearn to be in the palace of God, in the world of heaven. And the whole problem is, is we are not. And so any taste of that I can get, any taste is perfection, and I want to keep tasting heaven. The problem in this world, the problem of sin, is that this world pulls us away from perfection. We become obsessed with material, with wealth, with power, with tomorrow. When what we should really be concerned is with God right now at all times. This world's less prevalent, but this is where you would encounter the mystics. Those who want to enter into a time of worship that's contemplative. These are just four outlooks. You know, the sin is a problem because I am born naturally sinful, that we are all naturally sinful, awful people. The I've sin is the problem that we stop growing, we stop trying to be better, and we allow ourselves to slip backwards away from God. The sin is a systemic problem that all is because humans can't work well together and we take away from creation and make things human and therefore busted. Or sin is that which holds us back from being in perfect communion with God and experiencing heaven no matter where we're at. I like this story because it addresses all four forms of concerned sin. Because you may not really think about it very often, but my guess is that one of these speaks a little to how you view the world. And Jesus is concerned with how you view the world and letting you know that all of those can be stood against and all of those are problematic, but not one is worse than the other. So let's start at the beginning with the temple. Okay, so I feel like I've been doing this a lot, and this might be because I'm reading so much Old Testament right now. But the temple starts, of course, with the tabernacle at Mount Sinai. This holy, powerful place where you don't want to approach it if you have any problems because the fire of God will come out and consume you. But of course, that can only last for so long. When there's the tabernacle, everyone is centered around the tabernacle. The entire community in tents. And God even tells them exactly, on the east, this tribe, this tribe, then this tribe, on the south, this, this, and this, and so forth and so on. Everything is centered around the tabernacle. 
you couldn't, if you wanted to say eat lamb that night, you had to take it to the tabernacle. Everything was centered around that because that's the only place that lamb could be uh, killed along with doves and beef. But then you move into the Holy Land, and of course there's only one tabernacle, and so they have to make up ways that you can get around the rules because if you lived all the way out in, say, Asher, which is the most northwestern group, you're talking about a couple days, and if you want to have lamb, by the time you get down there, have the lamb taken care of and get back to your house, guess what? The lamb's no longer good to eat. So they come up with new rules and new ways around it. But they also discover another problem, which continues as Solomon builds his temple. Because no matter who you are, you get to have your sins forgiven. You get to have atonement. Even in ancient Judaism, with all of its complexity, all of its rules, all of its laws, no one is held back still from achieving forgiveness. It's always a possibility, as long as you don't break certain extreme laws. If you are a high-ranking person with lots of money, yeah, when you go in and try to have your, your sins atoned, you are going to have to pay a certain amount in money, in flour, and in animal, in, pro, in basically what your fields produce. You have to give more. So a rich person may have to give a young bull. Can't afford a bull, guess what, that's okay. Give a male goat. Can't afford the male goat, how about a lamb or a female goat? We can work with that. Can't afford a female goat, that's okay, guess what? How about two pigeons? Can you afford two pigeons? Can't afford two pigeons, that's okay. You know what, I have this flower here, you can afford the flower. Just give that to God. That will absolve you of your sins, that'll make you right. A system was built. A system that makes perfect sense, a system that was needed because after all, if you were going to go and have your sins atoned and you lived all the way out in Asher, there's a chance your lamb could die on the walk down. There's a chance you would be robbed and lose your flower. So they built around it a system that allowed them to make sure they were able to achieve atonement no matter where they were, where they were from, or what their ability to pay was. And as Judaism spread throughout the Mediterranean world and the ancient Near East, you had people moving, coming back to worship God from Iberia, Spain, from India, from all over the Mediterranean and ancient Near East to even the Near Far East. So you had this system in place. But like the, the warrior would tell you, when you put in a system, corruption is multiplied within it because humans have flaws. And by the time we see Jesus walking into the temple, guess what? That system's in place and it's deeply flawed. Because guess, if you, want, if you bring your lamb 
If you have worked and scraped and saved all year to make sure you had you could afford to bring this lamb or these these doves it it was all up to the priest whether that was acceptable or not and if the priest decided it wasn't acceptable and hey you should go over there to al he's going to sell you those exactly what you need don't mind the fact that he's bumped up the price a little bit because it puts change in my pocket yeah, that was happening. Not to mention, you could only pay the temple tax with a very specific amount of kind of money called the temple shechem. And you could only get that there at the temple, which if you're coming from Rome or Iberia or from India, you're going to have your own money, so they will handle the changing for you at a price. People are being held back from God. That's one reason Jesus gets mad. And he doesn't say, you know, these bandits. He calls the temple a den of bandits. A den is where the bandits go to hide from the authorities. Go to hide, in this case, from God. In God's own house, bandits are hiding from God's law. He ain't happy. Jesus, that is. I'm sure God wasn't either. System problems, systemic sin, building upon itself, keeping people away from God. But it didn't help that for the world of the orphan, those who come to experience God, they're being held back too. This is in a place called the courtyard of the Gentile. In order to go into the temple, you had to be of Jewish descent, at least three generations for most people. That meant if you discovered God along the way and you wanted to come and worship God, you weren't allowed in the temple proper, but you could come to this space called the courtyard of the Gentiles, and there you could worship the Holy One except for the fact that there's a bunch of people in there with all these livestock yelling, you know, hey, two doves for a buck right here. Get your atonement right here. Come on, folks, come on in, come on in. We got these, we got these lambs, I'll take care of your change. All this yelling going on all around them. Not to mention that this was actually a shortcut where the Temple Plateau sat, in order to go to another area near the city, it was faster to cut right through the courtyard of the Gentiles. And so you had the merchants bringing their camels and people right through the middle of this area where people were trying to worship. I think of a love feast which is about the time I feel closest to this world, to the orphan world, the moment when you sit down there and you're quiet, praying together, singing the old hymns, washing feet, eating as a group, beautiful silence and whispers. And then all of a sudden, some person comes in and tries to start selling you your Bibles at the top of their lungs. I'm sorry, that feels a little intrusive, right? 
Jesus doesn't like the fact that there is a sin, systemic sin problem of people taking advantage of others in the name of God. Jesus does not appreciate that there are people coming in here and disturbing the loud, disturbing with loud noises and selling and all this stuff while people are trying to worship. Jesus doesn't like either of those. On top of that, you know, we can't forget the other two worlds, but I think those sins speak a lot more for themselves because obviously the people of the temple, the Sadducees, the temple elites, the Pharisees who are all there kind of running things, they fail to keep growing. Or in another way to look at it, they've allowed the corruption that has started from the very beginning to continue to grow in their hearts instead of seeking redemption with God. They lived into the corruption. In Mark, Jesus just gets mad, and he goes in and he starts tossing tables over, and I don't think he kicks any baskets of birds, but I get the image that, you know, it talks about the birds flying around that make special mention. I'm imagining baskets going flying off tables, and all of a sudden doves flying everywhere as they're escaping, lambs bleeding, and Matthew or Luke, you know, Jesus picks up a whip and starts cracking it at people. Mayhem. And then he stands upon some open area and he starts preaching and telling them what's going on and the crowd is mesmerized. And the people who run the temple, they're angry at him. But that's it. That's it. Jesus leaves. Do you know what probably happened the next morning? The merchants came back in, set up their stalls. Caravans started going through. Corruption continued. That's it. What's the whole purpose of this story then? If it changes nothing. It continues, the corruption, the sin, the barriers put between people and God stick around. It's kind of depressing. When I was working at one internship, Part of what I did was talk to people about their story, how they had come to the, the Church of the Brethren. And I remember one lady who had come from another tradition tell me that among the many things that kind of drove her away from there was first uh, encountering a clergy member that, that didn't know her brother while he had been pastoring there for 10 years and her brother had been going there for 30 years. But the last two straws that broke the camel's back was, first of all, going into one church for a funeral service and seeing on the wall an advertisement, like an honest-to-goodness advertisement for a local pharmacy where people could pick up rosaries or things like that. That kind of bugged her. 
And then she went into another church of the same denomination. And there was an ATM there with a little workout next to it so people could see, oh, I usually make this in a week, so here's my tithing price. I'm supposed to pull out the ATM to stick into the... That was just a little too much for her. Especially thinking about this story, it's a little too far. And while I was doing this story, I was in a class where I was also meeting with pastors from different churches in, in the Lancaster area. And this woman came in, she, she was like the, kind of like the secretary. She held the whole operation together. The place had like nine pastors. She wasn't the pastor, but I think she honestly held more power than all of them combined. She kept it together and running. And she was telling us that when they built the new church they had, that they had made some decisions they built on what they called the business wing of the church. And in the business wing, there was a daycare, um, a, not a barbershop necessarily, but a place to have your hair done. There was a tax person with their business in there. And there was a bank. And it was just one of those odd moments where I'm hearing about somebody, how they were so turned off from this, and then hearing that a church made a decision to actually put a bank inside their building. But there was a big difference. The church that put an ATM in there was making sure that it had a cash flow and reminding people in the harshest way possible other than going through their, their uh, W-2s at the end of the year and telling them how much they owed. It does happen in some churches. This bank, though, was put in there because this church primarily uh, was not catering. Um, it was a church of black and brown folk who were overall downtrodden. You could even tell I knew exactly where the church was. If you go into that area, do you know how many banks you see in that area within easy going distance from any home? None. They saw that as a problem. They needed access to credit. They needed access to financial help. And so they answered that problem by inviting in a bank that specialized in just helping people with low to no credit giving them an option of where they could get a loan to buy a car, to pay off medical bills, to do rent, to buy a house. The first option in the neighborhood that had no options until then. The same with the tax services. They were offering low-cost services to those who needed the help. When I hear this story and I reflect upon these, what these two people told me, you know what? Yes, at the temple that day, everything went back to the way it was. When we read it, though, we have the choice, the choice to keep trying to do better 
or the choice to kind of go back the way it was. And it sounded to me like that one church decided to go back to the way it was to make sure that their finances were in great shape by putting an ATM in the front and letting people know, hey, if you can't, forgot your checkbook, got your card with you, we'll take care of it. The other one had a similar answer, let's put a bank in the church. But it was an answer to another problem, another systemic ill. We have a choice. We have a choice of what to do whenever we encounter sin in ourselves and sin in the world. As brethren, as Anabaptists, we listen and we hear Jesus standing upon the Sermon on the Mount saying, blessed is the peacemaker. Along with other passages, we go, God is calling us to be peacemakers in this world, to make this world better, to work on bringing down levels of violence on all kinds of things. We call often ourselves pacifist. P-A-C-I-F-I-S-T. But Jesus reminds us in this story when he goes in and he's throwing tables around and cracking whips in the air that pacifist does not mean passive, P-A-S-S-I-V-E, ist. There's a lot of problems in this world. All four of the theological worlds, the orphan, the adventurer, the crusader, the sinner, they all agree there's a lot of sin in this world. But all of them agree on one other thing, that it's our jobs as Christians, our jobs as children of God, of Jesus, is to push back. Perhaps to turn over a few tables. Perhaps to crack a whip in the air. Don't crack a whip on any person, please. Also, please don't hit any animals. I'm an animal lover. We're called to work, to change, to fight for change, to push people, and to push ourselves. Keep your eyes open. Whether you are in any of those worlds, all four sets of sin exist. Let's face it, none of us are perfect. We all have problems in our hearts that we have to fix to get ourselves closer to God. Whatever you want to say, you know what? The moment you start growing, you start dying. So keep growing, keep learning, keep engaging. That's life. Jesus pushes us to grow right up until the moment that we step out of this existence into life eternal. Yes, we have a lot of problems in our systems. Lord knows enough of you have probably paid your taxes. I don't see anyone shaking their head that they haven't, so I'm assuming we've all paid our taxes or things like that or dealt with the government or any other organization, and we know that there are always problems in organizations. 
Even in churches, we have problems. Keep working to make them better. Keep pushing back against them when there's corruption, when there are problems. And don't get tied down to this world. It's just material. Don't focus on this life. Focus on the eternal. Because guess what? All four of those sets of sins, they exist. They're just there. We accept that. But Jesus says, while you can accept that they all, ooh, I really put my face right down on the microphone. While we all can accept that those sins exist, we also must accept that we can change it or we can stand at least against it. So stand against it in yourself, in the world. After all, Jesus reminded us, the kingdom is nigh. Thank you. We're coming to the end of Mark. Next week is Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week. Jesus' last week's week before the crucifixion and the resurrection. Jesus started his ministry with these words. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. Prepare yourselves. Repent, let go of the sin. Even if called for, push against the sin. The kingdom of heaven is near. Easter is near. Amen.